get myself a Lincoln Got me plotting, got me plotting, got me thinking, got me thinking How can I come up and get myself a Lincoln? I'm a Continental, Cotton, Continental I'm a Continental, Cotton, Continental I'm a Continental, Cotton, Continental I'm a Continental Hey, this is Tony Boss Bowling coming to you from the Lincoln Attic Podcast This episode is brought to you by Devious Customs and Colorado Custom Wheels, also known as CC Cycle Wheels. Follow Devious Customs on Instagram and Facebook or visit DeviousCustoms.com. Remember, they have the best airbag kits on the market for these 60-era Lincoln Continentals. He's also beginning to reproduce a lot of parts that are making it easier for these Lincoln Continental owners to upgrade their cars, to do mild resto mods, etc. Also, CC Cycle Wheels, as I mentioned, Colorado Custom Wheels. You can also follow them on Facebook or Instagram. You can hit up Michael and team for your custom billet wheels, including the best Lincoln replica wheels on the market, cccyclewheels.com or cccyclewheels on Instagram. All right, so... Took a little bit of a break, have had a lot of stuff going on just in general in life, and this is the second podcast that I produce. So back on track, going to start producing bi-weekly episodes. We have our next guest lined up. It's going to be Nathan Wilson from Driving Dreams Restorations. Uh, Spoke with uh, Nathan recently in text, and he's agreed uh, easily, or he's agreed to come on as a guest. If you're not following his YouTube channel, you definitely need to. He's doing uh, awesome things with these cars. Whether you like originality or you like the custom resto mod stuff, he's doing both really. So uh, get out there, follow him on uh, YouTube is the easiest way. Again, just type in Driving Dreams Restorations and you should see a couple of the videos that he has out there. Actually, a good bit of videos. Now, This is our last episode since having Steel Rubber on. As I mentioned, just really a lot going on in life. But what I would tell you is if you're into these cars or you're thinking about making a purchase at some point, you're going to want to save SteelRubber.com as a favorite. S-T-E-E-L-E Rubber.com. You can also follow them on Instagram, Facebook, so on and so forth. The key is here you can go and you can hit their website. You select the year, make, model, and style of your vehicle or the vehicle that you're looking to purchase, and they'll send you a free custom catalog that's tailored to that specific vehicle. So it was awesome having them on, talking about the history of the company, but also, this is key, why are their products more superior than the competition? And they clearly laid that out. So again, cannot stress enough. You can go directly to them for purchases, or you can go to a place like Lincoln Land Incorporated, uh, Lincoln Land Inc., if you will, uh, here in Clearwater. They also sell uh, those awesome products. So hit them up. It was great uh, having them on, and we're moving forward now with uh, our future episodes, including this one. Now, on this episode, I'm actually going to discuss some 
purchasing tips for these 60-era Lincoln Continentals. And then I'm going to give uh, some key updates on Project Smuggler's Blues. Uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that I love 64 Lincolns, love the color blue, and my late father and I love the Glenn Fry song Smuggler's Blues from the early 80s, that Miami Vice style, um, you know, kind of nostalgia, if you will, which is really all the rage now. A lot of the 80s themes are back in terms of colors and shirts, wherever you look, and different department stores and so on, you know, you kind of feel that vibe. But uh, Project Smugglers Blues, you can also type that in as a hashtag, Project Smugglers with an S, Blues. You can also, when you tap on that hashtag or type it in on Instagram, you can uh, follow. So any of the photos that I share with that hashtag, they'll be kind of curated into your Instagram feed, so to speak. Uh, some of you are following us on Facebook, at Lincoln Addict. Uh, certainly appreciate that as well. Uh, see a lot of different comments and uh, appreciate. I just, again, haven't had a lot of time to really uh, follow up. I know there's uh, you know various people looking for help and that type of thing. But uh, Tony is also, Tony Boss Bolin, he's also an admin on the page. And we do our best to try to help. But as you guys know, like having a normal job and, you know, spending a lot of time working on our own cars. There's just not a lot of time. So we do our best to get back to everyone. Now, uh, the first item here I want to kind of mention is Lincoln Life Updates, which I kind of mentioned on previous episodes. This is brought to you by Steel Rubber. So as I mentioned, if you need new weather stripping on your car, visit steelrubber.com and enter your vehicle info into the drop-down menus and receive that free custom catalog. That way you can begin planning what parts you need. So, uh, one of the things that I mentioned maybe on episode 9 or 10 was we have a friend, Dave Shulman, and Dave has been into the truck scene for a very long time. And if you follow our other podcast, which is our lifestyle podcast, O-U-R, lifestyle podcast, that is centered around mini trucks, kind of low riders, 80s BMX, culture, all sorts of things, right? So, if you're into that stuff, check out that podcast. But we recently had Dave on, and Dave built a custom, uh, or he had a custom navigator uh, built for him for the SEMA 2019 show. What was uh, ironic is we shared the photo on our Instagram feed, and of course it batched over to Facebook. And the Facebook comments, you know, I, I kind of expected it, right? There's a lot of people that aren't into that type of thing. Uh, on Instagram, all of the comments were like, oh, that's awesome, awesome, you know, that type of thing. So, but if you if you take a look at that post, basically it's a 2019 Navigator that he had a full custom chassis built for. Big wheels, has a lot of kind of copper accents on the truck or SUV, I should say. It is the long version of the Navigator. And if you want to hear more about how that build came together, just uh, search via your favorite podcast app, Our Lifestyle Podcast. And uh, we had him on episode 157. It's not everybody's cup of tea. If you're not into lowered vehicles, or some of you guys may not even be into like the whole lowered airbagged Lincolns, totally get it, right? Everybody to each their own. Everybody has their own style. Some people think they're ruining cars and that type of thing. But being in the truck scene, you know, that kind of style is really big, right? Being super as low as you can go with the biggest wheels and that type of thing. And it drives perfect, you know, down the highway that's really what you want, right? Safety first. But there are shops like the shop that built that truck or SUV. 
that are building, you know, they, they that shop had 10 vehicles at the SEMA show this year, and they had an 11th that had a chassis under it. So uh, the, the style's not going to change, I don't think, anytime soon. This this trend, if you will, of new trucks that are laid out, so to speak, on uh, all the top-notch products like AccuAir that's going to continue uh, really into the future, I can tell you that. Now, uh, one other Lincoln Life update that I have is uh, Forbes had tweeted out a link to an article back on this is back on September 9th. So it says, What is Lincoln Auto brand? And they had a cool kind of write up here. It says, Once upon a time, someone at Ford Motor Company may have known what the Lincoln brand was intended to stand for in the customer's mind. Right now, it is very difficult to determine just what Lincoln brand is supposed to mean. Try to find Lincoln brand description on their website, it's not there. Kind of a long, uh, not too long of an article, but several paragraphs. And um, later on, it says, so what is a Lincoln? A visit to the Lincoln website focuses not on the vehicles, but instead focuses on things like concierge service, a.k.a. roadside assistance, access reward program, loyalty, the Lincoln app, remote entry, locate your vehicle, hospitality perks, discounts with partner brands, experience centers like uh, events, design your own Lincoln, vehicle demonstrations, so on and so forth. But it, it's it's kind of funny because you get to the end and you see who wrote it, kind of an older gentleman. It looks like you know Larry Light is his name. And I've seen the Lincoln brand kind of transform over time. And I think where it's at now, as I just mentioned with Dave Shulman purchasing that 2019 Lincoln, it's kind of, I think they're trying to appeal a little bit to the younger crowd as well. And when I look at the newer Continentals and the interiors and same thing with the Navigators, man, it just blows my mind how nice they are. So they've kind of gotten away, it seems like, a little bit from the alphabet soup, as some of us call it, with these different names, MKZ and so on and so forth. But to me, for a long time, the brand kind of seemed like it was geared towards you know, folks, mature adults, I think they're technically called, you know, a little bit seasoned, a little bit older, and that's fine. But I think to grow, like we've seen even with Cadillac, that they've had to expand and try to make it a little bit more appealing because they want the younger crowd to also go, man, I want a Cadillac. You know, I want a Lincoln. So uh, we'll have to kind of see. I thought it was an inter- interesting article. If you just Google uh, Forbes, F-O-R-B-E-S, and then what is Lincoln Auto brand, it should pop right up there in your feed if you're interested. About uh, 10,500 views on that article. So check it out. Okay. Next, Lincoln Continental Broker. Uh, you can follow on Instagram. We don't have a Facebook page yet, but uh, on Instagram, you can type in Lincoln Continental Sales. And basically, that's this is the page that I set up for the whole Lincoln Broker uh, sales that I've been kind of working, right? So recently sold a 67 sedan. For a gentleman uh, that I've worked with, uh, he's purchased three cars through me, and then we've since sold his 67 sedan. That went to a gentleman in Houston, I think he is, and he's going to do like a resto mod on it. So he's super excited about that. Um, So that was a recent sale. Now, uh, the 63 convertible that we were selling, that also sold. That's going up to New Jersey area. So I know the new owner is really looking forward to you know, that car that we sold here locally for a gentleman by the name of Scott. And now what we have for sale are really uh, two different ends of the spectrum. You have a 67 Continental convertible that really is is a project car. 
it's sat for a while. It has the rare passenger side uh, mirror. If you guys know, 66, 67s, those are like virtually impossible to find. It, um, it's, it's a car that needs some love, and we have a motivated seller. So right now, he's got the price at uh, $8,000. If you're looking for a car that you want to you know, get at a good price, a convertible, and you want to basically do a restoration over the course of a year to 10 years or however long it takes you, this is a great opportunity. It comes with a spare deck lid as well that needs a little bit of work. I don't have a lot of detailed photos of it. Hopefully, I'll have some more soon. There are a few areas of rust, but nothing that easily can't be fixed. So uh, basically, you get a, uh, the, the convertible car. It has the bench seat in it, so it doesn't have buckets, and then it has the, the passenger rear mirror. The car will start and uh, drive on a trailer. I think it had some brake work done recently, but you know it depends how far you want to take it. You could do a full-blown restoration on it and put a lot of money in it, or you could kind of just you know, bring it up to, to, you know, to running and driving type specs. But uh, that is available, again, at 8000 price point. You can hit me up at uh, lincolncontinentalbroker at gmail.com or send a direct message on our Instagram page, which is Lincoln Continental Sales. Uh, next, we have a 66 that's really top-notch. I'm selling for a lady here locally in the Tampa Bay area. Her name is Amy. And if you follow our Lincoln Addict YouTube page, so I know I'm throwing a lot at you guys, but if you go to YouTube and you type in Lincoln Addict, you will see our page out there. And I did a video recently on it. Uh, the car is super nice. It's really a turnkey car. It's for sale for 45000 And it's truly a $45,000 car. It... it um, was restored locally in the Tampa Bay area some years ago. I'd say probably a good 10 years ago. The one thing that you'll see uh, visually is it does have the wide white wall tires. So I know some people, the purists, you know, you may, you know, may not like those, but the tires are fine, you know, as far as, uh, you know, car runs and drives awesome, right? So on those tires, you easily get away with them. People like them. A lot of people do. And basically, it's restored inside and out. So you got the bucket seats, which are super rare, and uh, really no rust, no structural rust on the car. Those are a couple uh, cars that we have for sale right now. If you want to hit us up, again, uh, please feel free to do so. The video posted on November 12th. But uh, give us a follow. Let us know what you think, and we'll have more cars and parts and things like that coming here uh, soon for sale. Okay, next we got the Lincoln Continental buying tips. I've been wanting to do a podcast about this topic for some time. Here's the easiest place to start. If you Google Haggerty 1961 to 69 Lincoln Continental, or you might even just do Haggerty, which is the insurance company, Lincoln Continental Buyer's Guide, right? That might be even easier. You have an article that was published on September 11th of this year, and it starts off with the 60s were a golden age for American luxury sedans. Lower and wider, yet still relatively restrained. These cars exercised considerable restraint when compared to their finned predecessors and Broham-styled successors. One of the era's most enduring icons has been the fourth-generation Lincoln Continental, a vehicle that would make a searing mark on automotive history by way of its timeless styling. 
the significant changes it would be to the brand in a tragic brush with history in Dealey Plaza. So it's kind of a long article, but it kind of has different sections in it, right? So it has that opening few paragraphs. It talks about uh, which Lincoln Continental. So it talks about the fourth generation and, you know, the different changes they made, some of the subtle changes they made from 61 to 69. The next section is big V8 power. Talks about the 430 versus the 462 and so on. Keeping track of the changes. So a little bit more detailed in terms of the changes. Awesome photography throughout this article. A big top blues. Uh, there's a huge elephant in the room when discussing these well, these huge automobiles. And that's the retractable roof that came with the four-door convertible models. Okay, then it goes on the next section. Don't be intimidated, but do your homework. Some of you guys are kind of doing that now, listening to the podcast, right? Um, you basically have 20, so, I don't know, 20 to 30 comments here. And uh, John Cashman is also quoted in, in this article, it says, uh, in this section here, uh, what should you look for when buying uh, one of these cars? We spoke with the legendary Lincoln man, John Cashman, who has been restoring Lincolns for four decades. And uh, to help walk through some trouble spots, must uh, have features and year-by-year details. And that's kind of what led into those different sections that I kind of mentioned, right? So they went to the right person, John Cashman. So let's do this. Let's kind of go through a few things in my mind that are imperative when you're looking to purchase one of these cars. The other cool thing is I got a chance to go boots on the ground with John Cashman when he looked at a car that I was helping to sell for a gentleman. And I got a chance to see what he looks for and you know, be kind of privy to some of the information that he provided back to the gentleman that, um, that, that was looking to purchase the car. Now, he didn't tell me everything, but I got a chance to kind of really see, again, what he zeroes in on. And really the first thing that anybody's going to tell you about these cars, including John or a lot of people, is you got to look for rust. Okay, The cars are unibodies. And I've seen people, there's a guy here, I've never met him, in my area that bought a car on eBay. It's a 65 Lincoln. It is flat black paint. And rumor has it he paid mid-30s for this car. Okay, 33, 35, something like that. And our friend Blair worked on the car. The guy wanted to get the windows and top working, which is a whole other topic, a uh, whole other section. And basically, the car had a lot, a lot of rust on it. I mean, the whole underside of this car was just bad. And what I would tell you is if you're looking at buying one of these cars and you can't see it firsthand, first off, try to go see it if you can't. But if you can't, have the seller send you photos of underneath the car. So the 66 that I'm helping sell right now, I the most important thing when I'm selling a car is I want to make sure that the car is solid and that we have video and, and or photos or both, hopefully. That's key because you want to have that documentation to say, hey, listen, you're buying a car that is structurally sound, Okay. I've seen people comment when like Tony and I would be, you know, disassembling a car and they're like, oh, I can't believe a, another car has to be, you know, be killed off, you know, for a parts car. I used to think the same thing when I was younger and I hadn't seen a lot of these parts cars. But even talking to Chris Dunn at Lincoln Land, 
there's a fine line sometimes between a parts car and, you know, I don't want to say a crusher, but, uh, you know, a parts car crusher slash car that you can, that you can keep, right? You know, a keeper, a restore, uh, restorer car, right? And when Tony started getting some of these parts cars coming in, I got a chance to really see them. I mean, there's some of them, the convertibles especially, that have sat on fields for a long time. And, man, these cars literally are like the Flintstone. Flintstones, man. There's no four left. Everything is rotted out and just gone. So that's first and foremost. You really want to see a car that's solid, right? So whether it's a sedan or convertible, get photos underneath the car. I've seen a lot of eBay listings where they have them, and I've seen a good bit where they don't. If you look at where the car is at, let's say it's in Arizona or New Mexico. I've seen a few people send ads my way, and the ad didn't have any photos from underneath it. But you could kind of tell the car had a patina, like it was probably outside a little bit, and it spent a lot of time in Mexico or, or excuse me, New Mexico or somewhere like California, Arizona, so on and so forth. Chances are those are dry climates. It's going to be fine underneath, but you still want to get some photos to confirm like, oh, okay, yep. Perfect example, two years ago I bought my 64 convertible. Older gentleman. Had a lot of photos, but none underneath the car. You know, he's just an older guy, just didn't have access to a lift or whatever. So what I did was I said, look, I want to buy the car. Here's the deposit, but I'm coming to get it. I could have easily shipped it, but I needed that visual, that hands-on, that, you know, hey, I'm making sure that I'm not getting a car that when it delivers to me and I look underneath it, I go, man, what have I done, right? So Always, always, always get photos underneath the car. You also want to check, my friends have always told me, you want to check up in the radiator core support area, right? That's an area, there's that big cross member right in front, like right above the radiator, where a lot of times, like on my 67, it had a lot of battery acid damage on the passenger side where the battery sits. It wasn't anything too bad. Could cut all that out and fixed a lot of it, which is basically what was done. And it wasn't huge craziness, but... It's key because a lot of these cars, again, when they've been sitting a long time, there's a lot of moisture, water, battery acid, all that stuff, and the car has never been taken apart. I mean, you just it just gets nasty in there, and it does begin to kind of rot away. So first and foremost, rust, rust, rust. Check the floorboards. Uh, check inside uh, the, the deck lid. Um, one of the things that John did, which I thought was cool on the 63, is when the deck lid is open, if it's a convertible, you can kind of take your fist and you kind of just tap on that bracing that's underneath uh, the, that's basically the bracing for the, the deck lid, right? So the deck lid comes up, you kind of hit it a couple times, you know, with your with a solid fist on the side of it. And you'll hear, even in nice cars, you'll hear some rust, you know, kind of falling down, right? And it, it, it's true because, you know, you're going to hear a little bit. Now, if the thing is really, really bad, there's no telling what you're going to hear. But again, you want to kind of start to see like, hey, is there rust in these, you know, is is this a lipstick job, which we'll talk a little bit more about that. But bottom line, rust, 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 check it out, make sure it's a solid car. One more thing on my 64. My car, the guy said it's 99% rust free. That's what a lot of people are going to tell you. My car, I was super happy with it. I still made the purchase. It does have rust, like both of the front floor pans have to be replaced. You know, probably the wet climate up there in Illinois, Michigan over the years, rear floor pans, solid as can be. Front ones, 
probably from the water and the shoes or whatever they were doing, you get underneath the car and there's like those two big spots on each side where it's just, it's, it's not good. But you can go on eBay and buy floor pans for 260 bucks, or you can go to a shop and they'll make you floor pans. You know, they'll make the exact replicas, but you know, let's say you pay 250 a piece for floor pans. You have a custom shop or a body shop in your area, weld them in. Let's say you got, you know, 12, 1300 bucks in it, you know, and you got it all nice and coated. Now you got solid floor pans. That's not that big a deal, you know, but when you're talking about cars where you could put your whole fist through the floor and it's, you know, it's horrible. I mean, those are cars that you just get to the point where you're like, you know, you either don't buy it or you let someone else buy it that's going to put 50, 60, 70,000 in a restoration or the car will just end up a parts car. Okay. So next on my list is the mechanical side of it. So why mechanical? Well, when you think about you're going to make a purchase on a car and some look at it as an investment in these Lincolns, right? Or you want to kind of live uh, through the, you know, through the culture, uh, the lifestyle, if you will, of owning one of these awesome cars. You've seen this kind of explosion, if you will, of after the Entourage movie or TV show and then the movie, you basically have a lot of people that you have fell, fell in love with these cars, especially on the West Coast. You know, they're hitting up like the Raddies at Ballast Point a lot. So you end up, you go, hey, I want to get one of these cars. And you see one and it looks really good. No rust, solid body. Well, now you need to know, is the mechanical solid? And with the mechanical, I'll kind of lump in everything from the motor, transmission, rear end, uh, up to the windows, and then not so much the convertibles. We'll kind of just stick to overall. Convertible is kind of its own separate section in my mind. But basically, if you think about these cars, a lot of times you'll see them and they had or they have lower miles on them according to the odometer, right? So like in my 64 that I purchased, I want to say it has like 56,000 that shows on the odometer. But shortly after purchasing the car, I did realize the odometer wasn't working, right? So basically you have a car that you're looking at purchasing and you want to make sure that it's, it's, it's pretty solid, right? So the one thing Tony and I will joke about from time to time is there's no perfect Lincoln. Whether you're buying a car that's been sitting a long time and it needs some work or you have a car that you know the owner might drive all the time. At some point you're going to have to do something to the car. And that's true of all cars I think, you know, especially classic cars, but the Lincolns in particular. Now there's this joke, you know, you live in the Lincoln life, you know, the Raddies have this whole like hey, we're broken down, they got this funny koozie that uh, the Lincolns are always breaking down. And I was talking to Chris Dunn one day from Lincoln Land, and he mentioned to me, he goes, I've never had a Lincoln breakdown on me. And I said, well, you know, you got employees there, and you're probably always servicing your cars, you know, in between customer cars and stuff. And he was like, really, when you just maintain them, you'll be fine. But what happens a lot of times, I think, is someone buys a car, they think they're getting a good deal, which they may, and, you know, you get excited, you change the battery, you might drop the fuel cell or, or the, the gas tank, and you kind of get it running, and then you're like, oh, man, I'm good to go. And then there's so many other things, especially a car that's not been driven much for 50 years. There's so many other things, right, that have to be done. Now, someone like Chris at Lincoln Land or Blair at Lincoln Continental Services and John Cashman 
at convertiblelincolns.com. Many of them will tell you in each particular year they have their own nuances, right? So Tony and I would tell you 6465, you have to fix the amp gauge, bypass it, or go with like a resto mod style upgrade to the Dakota digital gauges, okay? The 6465, you have to, if you have a convertible, you have to put the brace in the back, in the trunk area, between the two mounts for the convertible top. I think they're made of cast, and John will tell you, those will eventually break. You have to put that extra uh, support beam in there. Uh, John Cashman will tell you as well, in 66, uh, Lincoln had fixed that. That way, when you look at 66, 67 convertibles, you'll see that bar in between there. But those are just a couple of examples of things you got to do to the 64, 65s when you own them. Of course, I did bake in a little bit of the convertible piece there, but you kind of get the idea. So from a mechanical standpoint, many of you know 61, and actually the few years before that, even until like the 58, but let's say 61 through 65 had the Mel 430. Mel meaning Mercury, Etzel, Lincoln. So the Mel 430s, some of the guys that have been around a long time and the ladies, they will tell you these cars or these motors will like survive the apocalypse. You know, they've got this funny joke about that. And, um, th- you know, the motors can just continue to run and run and run. And my 64 is an example, I think, of that because when I got the car, it was, quote, running and driving, which it drove on a trailer. So Tony and I, this is going back from December two years ago, for the first like three or four months, off and on, the little bit of time we had, we would work on the car at my house brake system, a motor, doing a bunch of stuff. And basically, the motor was just filthy. You'll see a lot of these motors are real nasty because they kind of have oil leaks up, like, you know, the oil kind of leak up where the distributor's at. And a couple different spots, oil would leak out, and it'll just get real nasty up on the valley pan. And mine was very much so like that. Well, fast forward to driving my car a handful of times and November last year, I decided, hey, I'm going to pull the motor. I'm going to really go full tilt, and I'll have more updates on that. But one of the first things you got to do if you buy one of these cars is you got to make sure that the timing gear has been changed. So if you're a member of the LincolnForum.net, you, I mean, you guys already know this, right? I mean, it's it's key. It's in the um, the one main forum there for engine stuff, right? Under Let's see, it's engine and drivetrain. And uh, there's a couple different things like uh, Lincoln uh, parts suppliers and so on and so forth. But there's a thread in there that talks about you got to upgrade the timing setup. The original main timing gear is made of, I forget exactly what material, but it's almost like a, a, a real brittle mix between nylon and plastic. I mean, I don't even know what it is, but... In my car, when we started to take the motor apart about a year ago and kind of pull it out, take off the timing uh, cover, you could see teeth missing from that timing gear, and that is really bad. So if you have one of these cars or you bought one and you're not sure, hey, has the timing setup been changed, you either need to take a weekend, you know, put your car up on jack stands, start taking it apart. I mean, you could probably do it on the ground or take it to a reputable mechanic, someone like Blair Farmer here in the Lincoln, or excuse me, the the Clearwater area, and 
have them pull off the water pump, pull off the timing setup, that type of thing, the steering pump, and check it because you got to do that, okay? So from a mechanical standpoint, the motors, including mine, even with a couple missing teeth and just the nastiness and just motor looked just bad, it ran fine. And many Lincoln owners will kind of tell you the same, that these motors, man, you put oil in them, they, they seemingly just run, run, run. Of course, you want to keep them cool. And, uh, you know, that, that that's a huge piece of it. But from a mechanical standpoint, you want to make sure the timing gear is changed, the timing setup. And you can get those timing setups from, like, Lincoln Land. You could even order them through, like, Advanced Auto Parts. Uh, I don't think they're in the store, but you can have it shipped home. So you got plenty of options for that, for the whole timing setup. And it's pretty easy because there's two dots that you line up. And the main timing gear, I think it is, it only goes on one way. And it's real simple to change. It's just you got to do it. You got to get to it. And with the radiator and all that stuff in there, it makes it a little tough. Okay, once you're doing that, you got the steering pump. And many of you know the steering pump is uh, a crank-mounted steering pump. So if you're going to take that off, you might as well send it in to someone like Tony Bolin or Blair Farmer, uh, Lincoln Land, that can rebuild those steering pumps. And you kind of say, man, you know, if I already got it off... Might as well have someone open it up. And as soon as they take it apart, they can kind of run their finger across the inside um, metal pieces. And they can tell right away if it's still good or if it's bad. Okay? If type F transmission fluid has been used in the system, from what I understand, typically you're going to have a decent pump and it can be rebuilt. But if the wrong fluid has been ran or other things, maybe it was ran and it was really low, a lot of times... It's, it's basically parts at that point. It's just trash. And you're going to spend a hefty amount to buy essentially another pump that you know you don't have a good core in exchange. So those are a couple of key items there on the front of the motor. When you move into like the carburetor, you know, any local carburetor guy can kind of rebuild that or you can go with the Edelbrock 1406, right? You can upgrade kind of a resto mod type thing where you go, hey, don't want to run the original carter but I'm going to upgrade and I'm going to go with an aftermarket Edelbrock. That's pretty simple. There's a couple choices out there. 1406 is typically the part number that most people go with. Then you have the uh, transmission. So if you live in a small town and there may not be someone that's comfortable rebuilding that transmission, depending on what year you have, you're going to be hard pressed and you might start getting quotes of three and four grand. I've heard some crazy quotes out there, but even if your transmission's good and your car's running good, it doesn't mean that you're not going to eventually have a problem. So in my 64, the few times I did drive it before I kind of blew it full apart, transmission seemed to be fine. But when we said, hey, we're going to do the motor, we're going to rebuild it, we're going to pull it out, we're going to have it hot tanked, we're going to have it machined, we're going to have all that done, it's like, okay, you got a transmission that's just sitting there that's going to take you, you know, 20, 30 minutes to, to take out at that point. It's like, why would I go through all of this without rebuilding the trans? Take the trans out, take it to the transmission shop. Guy basically goes, boom, uh, you're all set to go. A couple weeks later, basically uh, pressure washed the whole casing, cleaned it up real nice, uh, the outside that is, and then all new seals on the inside. And he said, Jason, all of the seals were rock hard. So again, you might have a car that you buy and you're enjoying and driving and that type of thing. But it doesn't mean that, you know, your transmission doesn't necessarily have to be rebuilt. I mean, 
to me, if I'm going to drive my car as much as I expect to, I was planning to drop the trans anyways and take it to a reputable transmission dealer or shop and have them go through it, so to speak. And if the expert says, you know what, we looked at it, it really needs to be rebuilt, you need all new seals, maybe you need some hard parts, so to speak, then just go ahead and do it and then you're good. You know, that that transmission, hopefully knock on wood, and my car will last another 50 years, you know. So, you know, we'll see. Now, the drive shafts in these year Lincolns, and I think it's 61 through 69, I know for sure through 67, they... When you take out, uh, you drop the back of it uh, from the rear end and you start to pull the yoke out from the transmission, there's three needle bearings. Now, I think some years are two. I want to say my 64, maybe the earlier years are two needle bearings. And then I know my 67 sedan is at, uh, it's three needle bearings, if I remember correctly. Those needle bearings, you have to have those. And a lot of people will lose them or misplace them or not even realize they're there and maybe take the drive shaft like I did to get some work done, and you lose those needle bearings, okay? Those things can be very costly, okay? So what I would tell you is, let's say you have a shop that's doing some work, or you're going to like do what I did where I took the, the motor and trans out. You have um, you basically take like a plastic shopping bag from your local grocery store and kind of put it in there, and that will just make sure that those needle bearings don't fall out. When I took my drive shaft to the local uh, drive shaft specialist here in the Tampa Bay area, they um, had a run-in with those needle bearings where they said, yeah, we had one that we, we didn't even know about. We didn't know that they had those, and it was lost, and we had to call, and they couldn't believe how much. They actually said they called Lincoln Land. They couldn't believe how much they were. So they said, hey, just keep that little bag in there, that, that plastic uh, grocery store bag, and that you know made sure that they were fine. And when they did the work on mine with the universal joints, which I don't, suggest anyone do that themselves unless you have the right stuff to kind of press them out. Well, I tried doing them and they're just a pain. So I took them to the guys at uh, the local place and what they ended up doing is they pressed all that stuff out. But again, the reason why I say that is you got the needle bearings, right? And you got the kind of the specialty. Everything is a little different on these cars. So for the motor, talked a little bit about that. Transmission's key, drive shaft, that's one thing you want to know. But if your car's running and driving fine, you might just go, hey, I'm good to go. But the number one thing there is you want to make sure that you check the timing setup. You got to do that. So uh, from there, the windows, right? A lot of times when you look to purchase one of these cars, you know, you're going to have someone that maybe know what they're doing or you're going to have someone that um, basically is going to be very upfront with you and they're going to say, hey, the windows either work or they don't. If they don't tell you that, you still want to ask. In many of the years, the vent windows, the two front ones, those are also electric. Then you have your four windows, obviously. In the coupes, of course, you got the two windows. But typically, they're all six are power windows. And the the biggest issue that I've seen in t- talking to John Cashman and Butter Farmer and a few of these guys is the windows. The, you know, let's say a car has been sitting for 30, 40 years the grease in the windows will just turn to just nastiness and everything is hard and stiffened in there. So what you have to end up doing is you either got to clean those tracks really good and kind of grease them or have someone do that work. And then of course you've got the motor itself, which could be bad. Sometimes you can 
do a little bit of work. Like in my 64, we spent like a couple of hours and we got everything working. The window tracks cleaned, re-greased, played with the, the motors a little bit. And uh, I don't you know, know the inside of the motors like if someone like John Cashman who rebuilds these things a lot. But from what I understand, you, you can use the newer aftermarket stuff, but it's just not good at all. So a lot of people prefer the older original motors, either rebuilt and things like that. Uh, if you can contact, I believe John Cashman does that stuff too as well. I know he, I think he does it on site where he has the parts readily available and then he'll install them. But uh, convertiblelincolns.com is how you'll get in contact with John. But I say that because not only do you have that mechanical side of it, but then you also have the relays that could be bad and the window switches. So in my 67 sedan, the window switches were like all bad. They just were crap and you can tell like where water dripped in and they get down in there and like the 6667s, those really can't be rebuilt. You can buy new window switches that are, uh, you know, the, the same look and feel, but they're expensive. So you have someone like Jeff Davey at Devious Customs who's kind of doing, uh, offering something that's very nostalgic, but is kind of an upgrade, so to speak, from the originals. But again, you can get the window switches. Now, if you have an earlier year Lincoln, like at, let's say a 61 through 65, those window switches can typically be rebuilt. Blair Farmer is going to be your best bet when it comes to rebuilding those from a price point. Okay, He's an expert at it, and you can email him lincolnman57.bf at gmail.com. So it's lincolnman57, number number so lincolnman 57 dot bf for Blair Farmer at gmail.com. Let him know what you're looking for and he can rebuild those switches. He rebuilt all six, seven, eight, nine, ten ish switches in my car for my 64 Lincoln Continental. So those are the main things. You know, you want to make sure that if you're getting a car, you either know, hey, does everything work? Uh, has the timing setup been changed, which a lot of these owners aren't going to know. And then, of course, you know, do the windows, are they operational? If they're not, maybe they kind of work and that type of thing. You could spend some time cleaning the tracks and doing those type of things, okay? Now, there's there's other things that kind of go along. But those are some of the bigger ones. Uh, one other one that I'll mention is you can quickly look at a lot of these cars on eBay or one that's on Facebook Marketplace. If they have a photo of the engine compartment, make sure it has a three-port uh, fuel pump. So, you know, a lot of guys will say if it has a two port, those are essentially trash and they are. Although it's made by typically the same company that made the original, these cars simply do not like the two port uh, fuel pumps on them. They're mechanical fuel pumps. They go right at the top of where the timing setup is. It kind of looks like a turkey neck up there. Well, right there is where the fuel pump, the mechanical fuel pump bolts. Those can be rebuilt. Blair Farmer does those as well. And uh, once they're rebuilt, they'll work really, really well. Now, my car came with a two-port. And again, those things are essentially trash. You will have issues with the vapor lock and things like that. The third port is a return line. It's a small line, which I forget the size because I actually rebent a whole new line from front to back on my car and with, a, with nice aluminum. And that return port will take any of the fuel excess fuel and put it back into the fuel tank or the gas tank. So 
that's a quick thing you want to check. Now, if you are buying a car and maybe they did at some point change and it's it's got the two port, unfortunately, that's not the end of the world. If everything else checks out on the car, you can get a three port from a couple of these top vendors, including Lincoln Land or Blair Farmer. We'll sometimes have a few there. He'll rebuild it and then he'll give you the price for the rebuilt sent to you. And then he'll ask potentially for a core back if you have a three port, uh, so on and so forth. If you don't have a core, it could be a little bit more expensive. But those are a few things, you know, that I would say to really that you want to look for from a mechanical standpoint. Okay, so now we talked about rust. We talked about floorboards. That was kind of first and foremost. But the next one I want to talk about just briefly is the body. Okay, and you could argue and you could say, hey, Jay, it's the same, you know, if you're looking for rust, so on and so forth. Not necessarily. I've seen some cars that are, you know, Tony and I joke, we call them lipstick jobs, where they're basically just covered up. And it does kind of fall under the whole rust thing because we've seen some of those where everything is hidden on it. But from a body standpoint, there's a lot of good body men and women out there that can make one of these cars really straight with a lot of sanding and a lot of prep. The paint jobs are not cheap on these cars. But if you're looking to get into a car that you're not going to have to eventually spend ten plus thousand dollars on a really good paint job, do your homework and see, hey, how does the body look? Okay, the dog legs, as they're referred to, are right behind the uh, the the rear doors. So that little section where the wheel well starts for the rear, that section usually will have a little bit of rust. On my '64, it does as well. So you can kind of look there. You know, how bad does it look? Does it look like there's been any little bit of repair, so on and so forth? So those are some key things to look for. Uh, on my car, I feel like the paint job, there was a respray, so to speak, maybe in the 70s, early 80s, and the paint is really oxidized and it's chipping in a lot of places, like on top of the, like where you would put your elbow out if you're driving, that little area that has that dip on the 64 where the peak molding is, mine's really chipping up there. Now, I like nostalgia and I kind of like for a while, I'm going to run the oxidized looking paint. This word that's thrown around a lot, patina, kind of has a little bit of patina right to it. It's not a perfect car, but I'm going to enjoy it and then going to have to pay to get that really, really nice paint job, all that prep work and things like that. So just what I would say there is factor in you know, what you're expecting, you know, do you expect to be happy with your car for a while and rock it the way it is? Or, Hey, if the car does need a paint job, just factor that into your budget because those paint jobs uh, can cost a lot of money. Okay. So next from a convertible standpoint, best example I can give you is my 64. Got a great deal on the car. Tony found it and it was quote running and driving again, drove on a trailer. When I got to the point for the convertible, it needed a lot of stuff. It needed the flapper motor. The gear was broken in there. All that stuff. Just go to convertiblelincolns.com. Contact John. His phone number is listed right there. And uh, John will get you squared away. Okay. Whether John comes to you or you decide you're going to go out on a, on a limb and you're going to do it yourself. Kind of what I did it's still going to be money in the parts going to that key vendor, which is John Cashman. Uh, you can go to someone like Blair Farmer, and he can handle all this for you as well. He'll tell you exactly what you need. He'll order the parts for you. 
and then he'll install all of the pieces. But from a convertible standpoint, if you look at the cost, and these costs are listed on John's site under shop, and then go under convertible top, okay? Here he has uh, everything from the convertible top pump unit, which is 375, to the uh, the hydraulic upgrade, which is 61 through 63. That's $1,600. And I think even the 64 through 67 is about the same price. It's pretty much the same parts, a little bit different size hoses and things like that. But if you factor in just the cost of the complete s- s- uh, system, you're at about $1,600, okay? That's going to give you the rams, the lines, and the new pump. Now, that doesn't factor in potential uh, relays that are bad because there's a, there's a big bank of relays back there, uh, so on and so forth. The main reason why I got my 67 sedan about 10 years ago was I was a little bit younger then, of course, and I didn't want to venture out into the whole convertible stuff at that point. I wanted to kind of get my feet wet, understand the cars a little bit, understand the nuances, and then you find out when you buy an owner's man or you buy a um, one of the books for the cars, one of the, the like the shop books, if you will, what you need to do. When you, once you buy one of those, you realize there's a whole section dedicated to convertibles. So they kind of have their own stuff going on. So going back to if you're looking to buy one, you know, find out is the system original. Now a '63 that I just helped sell that's going up to a gentleman in New Jersey. It had pretty much a lot of the original lines on it, and, the, and it worked fine. Opens, closes, really no issue at all, and that is fine. What I would tell you there is eventually that stuff will need to be changed, okay? It might last five years. It might last 10. It might last 10 days, okay? And John, I'm sure, would tell you very similar. If you're worried about it or you're doing a lot of parading with your car, the best thing I would tell you to do is either take it on yourself or call John Cashman or ship your car down here to like Lincoln Land or Blair Farmer at Lincoln Continental Services. Have someone upgrade your system. If it's 61 through 63, per when we had John on, he talked about those systems, they use different fluid, and I think it was brake fluid. Now they use the hydraulic fluid, right? They've been doing that for years. So when you upgrade the 61 through 63, you're going to get rid of all that nasty old fluid and then you're going to have the complete upgrade. Now, from a convertible standpoint, your top could work, work, work. You go on one parade, and it stops working. So you, you got to also feel a little bit comfortable with, okay, what happens if it stops? What do I do? Well, John, I think, also sells, um, and you can find these, yeah, they're right here. 60, like here's an example on his website. 66 through 67 Lincoln convertible top manual and emergency kit. And they have different uh, things like that you can find on eBay as well. John might have it for the other uh, years. But the key is there is you got to feel comfortable enough that if something gets stuck or or it doesn't cycle all the way, you don't want to necessarily freak out because if you do a little bit of research, you'll be able to get your top either open and or closed when you need to if you're in a pinch. So, from a convertible standpoint, there's a lot of relays. There are uh, plenty of parts that that kind of go along with the convertible system itself. And then, oh, by the way, like in my 64, now that everything is upgraded, I need the new canvas or the new top itself, 
So there's money there. There's a few extra parts you have to buy. And then, oh, by the way, if you're going to do all that, you may as well do the new wiring in it, right? So you have people like Jim Wallace that sell that stuff, and we'll talk more about his products in the near future. He's another Floridian, and uh, he offers, again, interior kits. He offers the canvas itself or the material, and then he also offers the wiring that goes through it and some of the miscellaneous pieces that you need to install that top or have that in top stalled. But bottom line, when you have the convertible, there's more, more, more money that has to be thrown at it. There's no way to uh, slice or dice it. Except if you have a car like the 66 that I'm helping sell right now where it's all restored. It works flawlessly. Top is perfect. It has the upgraded motor for 6667s. There's an upgraded kind of flapper motor that they mentioned that John's mentioned in the past. And that's important because those flappers are a little bit heavier. So again, if you're going to buy a car and you don't want to keep dumping money in it for the next six months, year or five years, get something that's already restored that's really, really solid and you're going to enjoy it with your family, friends, so on and so forth, and you won't have to mess with it. Okay, so the last main thing that I'll say is kind of just any restoration work that's been done. When you think about these cars and you go to steel rubber and you start pricing out, there's no way, there's no other way to say it. The moldings and the weather stripping and stuff, it adds up to a lot if you need everything. My 64 needs, it needed, I haven't um, installed everything, but it needed everything. So you start kind of creating your spreadsheet with maybe Google, uh, you know, the Google Sheets or Excel, and you realize it's a lot of money. So if you look at it from a restoration standpoint, look and see, does it have, you know, newer style moldings? Even if they weren't steel rubber, you want to make sure that they used newer moldings. Now, steel is the best, but the reason why I say that is like in my 67 sedan, you could see just how brittle all of that uh, door, the door moldings and things like that were. So even if the car had been restored, you might have someone that cut corners that said, you know what, let's just put all the original stuff back on there. Nobody's going to care, you know? Well, if you have a convertible, especially, you're going to potentially have water getting in certain aspects of the deck lid and things like that. So from a restoration standpoint, uh, take a look at, you know, were the bumpers re-chromed, were dents and dings removed and things like that. Oftentimes they're not, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, the 67 that I'm helping, or 66 that I'm helping sell right now, you know, the bumper, the front bumper is not perfect on it. You know, it's really nice. Most people are never going to really realize it. But if you want a full-blown show car, you're probably going to say, hey, let me go ahead and eventually re-chrome that bumper. So, you know, from a restoration standpoint, those are some things that you want to look at as well. I think overall, Nathan Wilson has mentioned this, and I would say this kind of brings everything together. If you get an original car that hasn't been quote-unquote monkeyed with very much, it's going to be a lot easier for someone like Blair, John Cashman, Chris Dunn, and team at Lincoln Land to go through and fix or restore or get the car running and driving. It's a lot easier. When you have a car that someone's going, oh, you know what, I'm going to cut all this stuff out. You don't need this. I don't know what I'm doing. And you take it to someone that doesn't know what they're doing, that's when the price tag is going to go up more and more and more if you're trying to get someone that actually knows what they're doing when they work on these cars. So look at something, look for something that maybe hasn't been monkeyed with very much. Even if the car sat a long time, that's not a bad thing. I'll end this out with 
if you have that scenario like I did where the car was sold in like 76 at the Auburn auction and the car was slightly driven maybe every summer a little bit, well, if you have a car like that, the gas tank needs to come down. You got to get a light in there, see how bad is it. Mine looked like rust water. I mean, it was just disgusting, okay? Some of the years you can get new gas tanks that are, uh, they look like the factory tank. Other years, you got to go to Jeff at Devious Customs if you need a new tank. He'll make a custom tank for you. But you got to take down the gas tank. You got to check the timing setup. You also have to potentially have the carburetor more than likely rebuilt. The fuel pump's going to need to be rebuilt, especially if that fuel has been sitting there a long time. I don't know if you've seen or smelled nasty old fuel, but it is gross and it just turns into like a varnish type. And it's just it's just bad. Also, the brake system. When I took, I had a single reservoir, of course, on the 64. Took the cap off. I had to use a big wrench to actually get the cap off. It was like that seized on there. And then, wow, it was just literally dried up uh, fluid. I mean, it was gross. So, brakes have to be overhauled. Up until 64, they had the drum brakes on the front. You know, I wasn't a drum brake expert. I had to rely upon my friend to kind of help me there. But literally, you start getting into, you know what, I might as well do all new brake lines. And then you have to go to a company like Classic Tube, do all new brake lines on it. You might have to do more stuff. We went, uh, we got all of my stuff working really well. And then the car still didn't want to stop. And we came to the conclusion that the brake booster was just bad. So, we took the brake booster out, and I had one sitting for my 67, which is one of the best brake boosters that had already been rebuilt by Booster Dewey, which cost money. So it's like, okay, let me go ahead and take that one and try it. Boom. Car stops really well for front drum brake. So you start looking at every aspect of it, and it usually is going to need attention from brakes to fuel system to ignition, new points. Those are typically cheap. Uh, you know, rear end fluid, you know, how, how long has that been sitting? You know, check that. Uh, drive shaft might need new universal joints. Any drive shaft specialist will tell you. A lot of people just start their car every couple times a year and just let it sit. You want to roll your car forward and backward, put it in a gear, drive it out the driveway, even if you're, you know, kind of a collector and you're not using your car very often. You don't want the grease to sit there and just, you know, not move and that type of thing. So, So many different aspects of the cars, but I would look at rust, mechanical, body. If it's a convertible, you've got those nuances. And then just the overall restoration work. Look at the floor pans. See how solid everything is. If it looks really shady, you know, ask for more. Maybe get it up on a lift. You know, feel confident that the car that you're buying is solid and that, you you know, you're going to be happy with it. There's nothing like getting a car where you go, man, I'm so excited about it, and you get it, and you start looking at the floorboards, and they're just rusted, and you're realizing, oh, man, what have I done? We do not want that to happen to you. So again, if you just search the internet through Google, you'll see your definitive 1961 to 69 Lincoln Continental Buyer's Guide. That was by Benjamin Hunting, September 11, 2019. That was published. Got a cool uh, convertible uh, there is the cover photo, and then you got a bunch of other photos. You got John Cashman, the uh, the legend who is mentioned uh, throughout with his opinions on things and so on and so forth. There's a lot of good information in there. It talks about the transmission for these cars. 
is always a three-speed uh, twin range from 61 to 65. Six or C6 from 66 to 67, represented by the number four, and then a swap the U code. Uh, select shift transmissions from 68 to 69. A lot more information there about the ratios and things like that. But rest assured, if you get one of these cars and it's a good driver and it's solid, you're going to have a lot of fun with it. Do not be afraid to learn, tinker with the car, understand the tops. I'm still learning. There's a couple times I'm in a bind. I call up Tony and go, hey, man, what do you think on this? I'll call Blair Farmer. Uh, became great friends with him, done business with him, currently doing business with him. And uh, Blair will say, hey, this is what you need to do. He'll give me his opinion, so on and so forth. But long story short, do your homework. Okay, next up in the movie. So I kind of have been doing this the last few episodes. Uh, thinking of a movie that I remember a 60 era Lincoln Continental in. And the other day I happened to come across the photo that I took last year around this time in November and it was of the holiday classic Home Alone 2 and for some reason it was on and I grew up in the era when that movie came out and it's just a, a really a holiday favorite in our household we were just watching it the other night and it reminded me of this hence why I'm talking about it what was awesome is they showed an overhead view of all the cars kind of in downtown New York and I was like, wait a minute. And I paused and I, there's a Lincoln Continental right there in a sea of cars. And my wife's like, wait, what? And I'm like, yep, there's a Lincoln Continental and boom, it was there. So oh, one of the other cool things that you can do is you can go on IMCDB, which is the International Movie Car Database.org. So IMCDB.com. And you can search by movie or by uh, make, your so on and so forth. And you can find where super fans of movies go through and kind of curate these lists where they will take screenshots and screen grabs and things like that. And they will post um, about uh, those movies and, and, and things like that with the different cars. What, um, what I think is awesome is, you know, sites like this is pretty cool. But they can't accommodate for everything. Like that Lincoln that I happened to see and the, the sea of all those cars, I don't even know how I saw it, but uh, I did. And uh, it's just pretty cool. You know, if you watch old shows uh, like the movie, uh, many of you guys know, is uh, Used Cars, right? You had Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale kind of teaming up for that movie. And they went on, of course, to uh, to work together with Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3. But if you watch that movie, you're going to see like three or four Lincolns. One's crashed in it. it kind of makes me cringe. Uh, if you go back and you watch shows like Chips, California Highway Patrol, which is a you know a cult classic in the 80s, really still a lot of fans out there of that. Those were available on Amazon Prime, I think, for a while. And you could go back, and I was watching some of those, looking at the old cars, which I always enjoy. And then, boom, you see Lincolns in the background like No Tomorrow. So, you know, they were filming in 83, 84, 85, and those cars are kind of just out and about, kind of normal cars, 20-year-old uh, cars that were still on the road. So that's my in-the-movies discussion for this episode. Okay, so some of you guys in the LincolnForum.net came here to hear this, Project Smugglers Blues updates. I have done um, a solid job of documenting 
the the whole progress on this car, and I did the same thing with my 67, but the differences here with the 67, I was using Photo Bucket, and Photo Bucket went to this like paid uh, system where you have to basically pay for them to host your photos. So a lot of the the links are broken in the LincolnForum.net, but you can use uh, like Photo or excuse me, uh, Flickr, which is a part of Yahoo. And uh, with Flickr, what I do is I upload a lot of my photos uh, under my Lincoln Continental account uh, or, or Lincoln Addict, if you will. And I'm able to link those over and they appear in the LincolnForum.net. So LincolnForum.net, you'll see under you'll see under the section updating, modernizing, and customizing. And then there's a section customize members projects there. And you'll see Project Smugglers Blues right there at the top. About 2,500 uh, views and 196 replies, which many of those are mine because I'm basically documenting this uh, overall restoration, so to speak, in the best detail that I can, providing updates when I can. So since the last episode, a lot has happened. And I'm going to kind of fast forward to now, to the last couple weeks. So basically... We really took our time. It's been about a year. Wish it was quicker, but that's just the way they go with these cars. And the motor's been done for a little while. We had some hiccups with the motor, and we, you know, it's fought us each part of the way, and we have fought back, and we have continued to win, win, win when it comes to this Mel 430. So about, I don't know, a month ago, my buddy and I, we took the motor off the motor stand and his dad had rebuilt the motor. And when we took it off the motor stand, we double checked on the back of the block that, that we had all the plugs plugged up. So there's a bunch of small plugs and I forget what they're referred to. I've heard people say galley plugs and things like that, but they're basically like little plugs that you have to plug up and those will come in typically your freeze plug kit if you're doing a rebuild. Which, side note on that, the freeze plug kit that I got was the steel kit. You can get them on eBay. Well, a lot of us know it's nicer to run the brass ones. Well, I got also got the brass kit. Well, the brass kit, not all of them fit in the block. So, luckily, I had the steel. So, we have a mix of the brass uh, style and the steel style. The brass ones also did not come with the small plugs that you need, including what I'm talking about now. So, word to the wise, either get the steel kit or... If you're going to get the other kit, uh, the, the kind of brass, uh, make sure that uh, you get both because you're going to need pieces from the steel kit. But when you looked at the back of the block, it looked like, okay, we got them all. We're good. Well, not doing this kind of work very often, I'm speaking for myself, we essentially said, okay, check mark, motor goes in. Within the next few weeks, we install the trans. We're good to go. We're chopping away at the punch list. Well, we get to the point where my friends Blood and Teresa came out to help do the final kind of checklist, you know, prime the oil pump, you know, go through this step by step, which they've done plenty of times over the past 40 years. And one of those steps included putting oil in the motor. So we put oil in the motor and Blair proceeded to use his electric drill on the oil pump rod to prime the oil. Okay. Well, 
about 30 to 60 seconds into that priming, you start hearing the oil. We're like, okay, good. Everything's going good. You know, you kind of hear it. Um, I don't know, this gargling style sound a little bit, and you start to see a little bit of the oil coming out the top. Uh, we had one of the valve covers off so we could see that. And then, not a catastrophe, but it was like, what the hell? Look under the car, and we say, hold up, wait a minute. Oil all over the floor. And what it was, which we didn't know right now, or we didn't know at the time, is we had to drop the transmission, which we ended up doing that day. And when we dropped the trans, we uh, I think it's a 15 16th uh, socket on the front of the motor, so you can kind of turn the motor, right? So you got your big, uh, I'll usually use like a, a breaker, not a breaker bar, but almost like a, uh, a torque wrench, right? Because it's kind of longer. And, you know, you just turn the motor over, as many of you guys are aware. So you kind of turn it over, and my buddy goes, hold up, check this out, one second, leave it there. Well, when you turn it and the crank is turning, on the back of the, the motor, you've got a piece where there's a notch in it where when you turn the motor to a certain point, there's another plug on the top of that notch, like right above it. And sure enough, that was a plug that we missed. It was our fault. Hey, things happen. And essentially, all of the Royal Purple braking oil, which we purchased on Amazon, most of it was gone, poof, right onto the floor. It was nasty. It was frustrating. It was like, man... All this time, all this effort, we had to drop the trans, take apart all the linkage, take off the starter, uh, take off the little mount on, that goes on the passenger side subframe over to the transmission, that like little stiffener type deal. Looks like a tie rod. I mean, all that stuff took time to install. Now we had to take it all down only to find out that we missed the plug. And what happened, what, what happened was when we took it off the motor stand, you couldn't see that plug based upon where the crank was at. And I have a photo that I'll share maybe with some of this audio. And all of that oil just came out right there. So what we did is we found the plug. We plugged it up. And a little bit later that day, we put more oil in it. We put the the uh, like a nice electric drill on it. And we primed it to the point that we saw oil coming out the top of the motor, not the back of it. And everything was fine. So we were kind of back on track. But I say this because I want everyone to know that mistakes happen on these cars and I've been a part of several mistakes, you know, on things that we missed or things that I missed on my 67 and it's frustrating, but all you can do is grit your teeth and say, hey, let's keep on keeping on and that's what we did. The following weekend, Blair and Teresa came out again and we went through that checklist. We kind of did, uh, we had a few little hiccups, but nothing major and before you know it, the timing was set dead on. Motor was idling perfect. We kind of switched between the fuel that was in the gas tank over to a little, um, ran a separate fuel line right into the fuel pump, right into the little gas tank, and we had fresh fuel, and the car just idled really, really nice. So we're at a point now where we just need this final punch list to kind of dial in a few things, tighten a few hose clamps with the heater, um, you know, double check the throttle linkage was a little wacky. I think Blair found that it had a little bend in it where it shouldn't have. And Blair's doing like a final, final punch list for me on the car to really just to, to say, look, the thermostat's opening when it should at uh, about 180 degrees. Um, 
that throttle linkage is good, that everything is, is good for us to get the car on the road and actually test drive it. You know what I mean? The motor we broke in for the most part, you know, about a 20-minute break-in process, letting it run. But now we need to make sure that the cooling system's working fine and so on and so forth. But I'm happy to say that I got a chance to uh, move the car, put it into uh, drive, move the car forward, put it into reverse. It went back. And uh, we drove it on a trailer, and then we took it over to Blair's shop, and he's going to, again, finish that punch list. But so much work has went into it, and I tend to go a little bit overboard when it, when it comes to you know aluminum radiator. Let's just rebuild the motor. It's punched out 30 over. Uh, it had a little bit of scarring on the uh, cylinder walls, which is why you know uh, Tony's dad was like, look, if I were you, I would just punch it out. We got the rebuild kit with the bigger piston. Uh, gear reduction starter. Everything is powder coated that can be powder coated. The block is painted black. Uh, some blue accents in there. It looks really, really nice. We had a couple hiccups with the coil, so I'm going to go back to a factory coil. And uh, more to come on that in the near future. We're going to upgrade to like an MSD style uh, distributor. Uh, we had a couple um, hiccups with the points. I know some people love Protronics. Many of us have had challenges with those. Uh, they make them a little bit different, apparently, than they originally did back in the day. I think they were originally in San Diego. Now they're kind of made overseas, and I've heard people say they love them. I've heard people have many challenges with the Protronics, but for now, we got the points. But rest assured, there's going to be a lot more to come with Lincoln Attic Podcast. I know it's uh, been a few months, and I definitely apologize to everyone for that delay, but we got the pedal stomped, and we're uh, really looking forward to this Lincoln Cruise that we're going to do this coming Saturday, November 23rd, which is actually my birthday, and that is the day after the anniversary of JFK's uh, uh, unpass, or unfortunate passing, his assassination in Dallas. But before he went to Dallas, he was in Tampa, Florida. And uh, last year, we kind of said, hey, let's do this cruise. Big JFK fan. There's a couple of markers in the, the, the point of, or in Tampa that mark uh, JFK's uh, you know, visit here. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to get some Lincolns together. We're going to get some uh, hot rods, some muscle cars, maybe some mini trucks, some low riders, classics, if you will. And we're just going to go out with beautiful weather, and we're going to cruise, and we're going to have a good time. Now, if my car's not ready, no big deal. I know Tony Boss Bolin just got his 65 blue. I forget if it's platinum blue, they call it. But he just got that back. It's kind of been going under a restoration for a couple of years. Engine bay is dialed in so nice. Really looks good. The whole top of the car has been repainted, and uh, it's going to be an awesome day, so we're really looking forward to that. So, again, LincolnMan57.BF at gmail.com. That's Blair Farmer's email. If you need work done or you need something rebuilt, like the amp gauge, window switches, so on and so forth, please email Blair. Let him know, um, you know you heard it from Jason at Lincoln Addict. Um, let him know what you need, leave your phone number as well. And he'll typically get back to you, but just be specific on the needs because he is a one man show for the most part. Um, his, uh, his friend Teresa, she also works there on Saturdays and she helps with the restorations and things like that, but very busy guy. And, uh, he's happy to, uh, to help, uh, offer his services out there, uh, to people that need them. So episode 12 is in the works. In the meantime, as I mentioned earlier, if you like truck talk, old school BMX, bikes, 80s, 90s culture, 
Uh, check out our lifestyle podcast, which is one that I produce and co-host. Uh, we publish episodes every week. Yes, every Friday. Don't forget to check out Lincoln Addict on YouTube. Uh, we have more videos coming, including this huge upgrade that we're going to do on Tony 65 as it relates to the convertible top. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy that. I haven't seen anyone do video content related to this topic. Now, I did recently publish a multi-part video for the full hydraulic upgrade on a 64 Lincoln Continental. I have one final video that I still want to make to kind of sum it all up. But again, if you follow Lincoln Addict on YouTube, you'll see that multi-part video. I think I can only publish up to 20 minutes right now. So I have to cut the videos at that mark until I get more subscribers. So uh, Devious Customs on Instagram or DeviousCustoms.com. Again, Jeff is continuing to expand his product offerings for 60 Air Lincoln Continentals. And then CC Cycle Wheels on Instagram or cccyclewheels.com. Hit up Michael and team. I have a set of the Lincoln replica wheels for my car, and I cannot wait to show everyone here early in 2020. But with that being said, thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate uh, any of the ladies out there as well. There's a lot of cool chicks out there rolling in these Lincolns. We appreciate them. Uh, Tony will be on the next episode. We'll have Nathan Wilson as well. And uh, again, you guys have fun out there with the cars. Uh, hit us up. If we can uh, be of assistance, we will. As I mentioned, we are very busy. I know just in, in personal lives as well as kind of the, the business side of the world uh, in terms of our jobs. But you can uh, email lincolnaddictpodcast at gmail.com. That's the best way to get a hold of us. And like I said, we will do our best. If I missed anything, let me know. I know there's a lot of stuff, vacuum lines, so much other stuff to talk about on these cars, but rest assured, we'll hit on more topics in the near future. With that being said, you guys enjoy the week, and thank you for everyone that has subscribed to Lincoln Attic Podcast. From ODB here, a.k.a. the Lincoln Attic, and Tony Biggity Boss Bolin, we say peace out, be safe.